Good morning. And as Char expressed, uh, we are certainly grateful uh, for the kind words uh, this Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, the kind gift uh, that you all uh, gave to us, and uh, just your overall kindness uh, to my family. Uh, we are certainly grateful. We are talking about gratitude now. I've changed uh, sermon series uh, to gratitude changes everything. Uh, we are uh, blessed people, and I believe that with thankful hearts, uh, we will become more and more transformed into the image of God. And to today's text is taken from Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 6 and 7 as we talk about how gratitude changes or transforms our ethics, the, specifically the way that we behave. So listen to these words that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Colossae, starting in verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with kindness. Let's pray together. Father, as we have read your word this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit will transform our hearts through this time and allow your word to speak boldly to us. We pray that you'll open our eyes, open our minds, that you'll guide and lead this discussion as we worship and honor you through the reading of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Theologian by the name of Karl Barth wrote these words. Gratitude is to be understood not only as a quality and an activity, but as the very essence of a Christian. Gratitude is more than just a quality. It's more than just an activity. It is the very essence of a Christian. Gratitude transforms how we behave as humans in this world. And to make an argument for this case, I, I want to look at parenting with you. Many of you here have been parents in different forms, whether grandparents, uncles and aunts, mentors, or father and mother. I have a 15-year-old and an 11-year-old, and I've tried really hard as a parent to motivate them to behave themselves and become the best versions of themselves in this world. Discipline has been helpful. Spare the rod, spoil the child, am I right? I hope that my children have a healthy fear that if they misbehave, their mother and I are right there with appropriate consequences for their actions. I'd rather them be grounded for a weekend for breaking curfew than lose their job 
when they don't show up for work. Come on, yeah? Positive reinforcement, positive behavior reinforcement uh, interventions are used in the Knox County Schools classrooms. Many of our students today know what PBIS is. We've always tried to reward our children for good grades, for good behavior. As they've gotten older, they've received more liberty and freedom as long as their behavior tracks. But, parents, track with me here. I believe the best parental tool that we have is behavior that flows out of gratitude. I want my children to see that I'm stable and rooted in their lives, that I'm not going anywhere. I want my children to see that I have their best interest in mind. I want them to grow and be successful. And I want them to understand my commitment to love them unconditionally. There is nothing that my children can do that will ever stop me from being their father. So when they see that I'm stable and rooted in their lives, when they see that I'm helping them to grow, and when they see that I love them unconditionally, maybe out of their gratitude will flow obedience, positive behavior. Well, that's your three points for the sermon this morning. Let's unpack this passage as Paul teaches us that gratitude transforms how we behave in this world. The first metaphor is rooted and stable. Rooted and stable. Paul uses a growing metaphor here, right? Our lives are rooted in Jesus Christ. All the nutrients and growth in our lives flow out of his constant presence that he will never leave us, that he doesn't change. Hebrews 13.5 says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's like a plant that has these deep, strong roots firmly placed. Seasons come, seasons go, weather changes, but always securely planted with deep roots. In the same way, we are planted and Jesus Christ. Parnell Bailey visited an orange grove where an irrigation pump had broken down. The season was unusually dry, and some of the trees were beginning to die due to lack of water. The man giving the tour then took Bailey to his own orchard, where ir irrigation was used sparingly. These trees could go without rain for another two weeks, he said. You see, when they were young... I frequently watered them. I frequently kept water from them. And that hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil in search of moisture. Now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area. While others are being scorched by the sun, they find moisture 
and the greater depth. Now picture your lives like this orange tree. How deep do your roots go? And more importantly, how deep are the roots of Jesus Christ in your life? He's stable. He's present. He's never going anywhere. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Our God never changes. And that should produce in us this overflowing of gratitude and a change of our behavior. And if you're following along in your notes, you can write down built and growing. We see Paul using an architectural metaphor here, right? To describe how Jesus helps us grow spiritually. He, he actually empowers us to grow spiritually. He is the one building, doing the building. He is the contractor. He is the carpenter. He is the electrician. He is the one who is right there building our lives, and he's going to see us through to the very end. And that's what Philippians uh, 1.6 says. When, when Paul's writing to the Philippians, he said, I am confident of this. He has confidence in this. That he, meaning God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. You have been firmly told that God is actively building your life. He's working on your souls. He's working on your heart. He's working on your mind. He's trying to create in us something that is beautiful, something that is good. He's not done with me yet, amen? I am still being transformed. I'm the splinter removal in my household. Y'all ever get a splinter in your hand? I am the remover in my household. My wife hates it. My kids hate it. They wait as long as possible to come to me. They will try to remove it themselves, wait for it to get better, but it never does, and they have to come to me. Those splinters make the skin swell. They cause pain. What those splinters need is a good sewing needle and dad's steady arm. I scrape away that top layer of skin. Oh, anybody getting queasy? <laughs> I dig down in there and I pull that splinter out. My wife will tell you it's never as painful as she thinks it's going to be. The kids will say the same. But there's always, there's always fear. Fear that it's going to hurt worse. And I think sometimes we approach God in this very way. That splinter is the sin that's in our hearts. I think about Adam and Eve as they were in the garden. They ate of that fruit. And we're told they hid from God. 
And when God saw them, of course they got appropriate consequences. But do you remember what he did? He clothed them. He clothed them. It's not what they thought he would do, I'm sure. Because they tried to clothe themselves. Every time that we give our lives over to the architect, to the contractor, that carpenter, there might be a little bit of pain, but there will also be joy and gratitude. The more we trust in God, the more he comes through. The more we give our lives to God, the more he forms. And that forming sometimes hurts just a little. But he produces a transformed person. A life that reflects the image of the Son. We'll just let him do it. The last words that I want to share with you this morning are established and forever. I don't like the reading here in NIV where it says that they are strengthened in the faith. Uh, the Greek word here is actually established. And I think that does a better job of communicating the truth of the passage. Established here is a, a legal term because it is a legal covenant that God makes with his people, a legal covenant of love that God makes to his people. It is a love that is unconditional. It is forever. As Jeremiah 31, 3 says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. The love of God is everlasting. The love of God is unfailing. The love of God is unconditional. We don't deserve his love, but he pours it out on us abundantly. And our gratitude flows out of these precious promises. There was a man who wanted to ask his boss for a raise. He was really, really nervous about it. It was a Friday. He told his wife that morning what he was about to do, and all day long he was nervous and apprehensive. Late in the afternoon, he summoned the courage to approach his employer. To his delight, the boss agreed to a raise. The man arrived home one, that evening to a beautifully set table with the best china, candles were lit. His wife had prepared a festive meal. Immediately, he figured that someone from the office had tipped her off. Finding his wife in the kitchen, he asked her, he told her the good news. They embraced and sat down to a wonderful meal. And next to his plate, he had a little note that read, Congratulations, darling. I knew you'd get the raise. The festive dinner had ended, and on his way to get some dessert from the kitchen, he saw the second card that had fallen from her pocket. Picking it up off the floor, it read, don't worry about not getting the raise. You deserve it anyway. 
I think about that unconditional love that she gave him that wasn't based on merit. She was going to throw him a party no matter what. She was going to love on him no matter what. And many times we feel like we've got to impress God. We feel like we need to come to God with trophies, proving our worth, but God says no. It's not conditional. It's not based on our social status. It's not based on our behavior. It's not even based on our talents or our looks. Children are drawn to parents who love them unconditionally, and we are drawn to God for the same reason. As we uh, transition to our time of communion, I want to read a few of the lyrics that are found in the song that we're going to sing to reflect on gratitude changing our lives. It goes like this, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All of my days, I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God because all of my life you've been faithful and all my life you've been good and with every breath that I am able I'm going to sing of the goodness of God will you consider what your gratitude has done in your life Maybe there's a lack thereof. Maybe today is a reminder of the goodness of God, that he is rooted and planted in our lives, that he's building us up, that his love is unconditional. And maybe today it's a reminder that that gratitude should overfill, that it should spill out in the way that we behave. Or maybe today was just a good reminder that God is good. As we sing the song, I'm going to invite you to stand with us and go to one of the three stations that are prepared. Grab the cups, and on the bottom cup will be the juice, and on the top cup is the bread, or the other way around. And hold those cups uh, as we reflect on the goodness of God. Let's pray together. Father, you are so, so very good. I'm thankful, dear Lord, that we can gather together in this way. I'm thankful that you are rooted and planted in our lives, that, Father, your love never fails, that, Father, you are building us up. And I pray, dear Lord, that you will just guide and lead us according to your will. Lord, you've been so good. As we sing and as we reflect, we worship and honor you. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.